The Chinese Jaws I'm the middle child and the only girl. My elder brother is Sam. Perhaps because he is the eldest of our siblings, Sam was the most responsible always, protecting us and watching out for us. Now too, but even when he was just a little boy himself. And my younger brother is Cyrus. And as I used to tease him when we were kids, the only thing great about him was his ability to get into trouble. In this one department, Cyrus had absolutely no competitors. So with these two sturdy brothers bracketing me, I could either have been the girliest girl ever with pink frocks and ringlets in my hair, or I could have been the tomboyest. I chose the latter. Trees were nothing to me. There wasn't one for miles around I hadn't climbed. I was fast as a running dog and wily as a cat. Cuts and scrapes were everyday pleasantries, and my grandmother often despaired as she put me back together again with mercurochrome and band-aid. Who will marry you if you get so tanned and have all these scars everywhere? But that's a story for another day. We three were an intrepid gang. We always set off with Sam in front, but Cyrus's propensity for getting into trouble was so great that he would soon be running riot and the two of us would be running after him. I, frantic not to lose out on any of the excitement, and Sam, to catch him if he fell. In spite of all this sibling cushioning, Cyrus spent most of his junior years being punished. He was always banging into things and breaking them, or frightening old folks out for their evening walk as he rushed past them chasing a ball, or getting caught pilfering mangoes, or upsetting the priest by dropping stones into the temple well to see how deep the water was. Mum and Dad punished us all liberally, but Cyrus got the brunt of it, I have to admit. Deservedly so, but nevertheless. We were preparing for our naujots, so I was nine, which means Cyrus was seven and Sam was eleven. Bapaiji, that's our grandmother, taught us our prayers. And when we were considered ready, we had to report to Mutta Papa, our grandfather, to display our prowess. This was a great challenge, because not only did we have to chant perfectly in unison and without error, but we were not permitted to fidget. And nothing makes you want to fidget more than being told you can't. Cyrus would get berated every day. But Sam and I also got regularly ticked off by Mutta Papa since we swayed from side to side while praying and he was against it. He would look at us strictly and rumble a bass hmm at us and we would freeze still but start up again in a while and he'd hmm at us again. <laughs> Mum told us wonderful stories of the life of our prophet Zarathustra and of our ancient heroes Rustam and Saurabh and of King Jamshid and how he was first very good and then very bad. It was exciting in spite of all the learning and strictness. We were taught the tenets of our religion too, that we must be good and true in thought and word and deed, that doing naughty things and telling lies were obviously bad, 
But thinking mean thoughts was no less bad because we thought no one else knew. For God always knew. And that after our naujots, all our good and bad thoughts and words and actions would be noted in some celestial journal and one day we would be held accountable. This was overwhelming for us kids, but we were told everyone gets used to it and so would we. This bit was never actually stated, but we figured it out fairly easily that till the naujots, it seemed we had a free pass. And Cyrus was immediately determined to make sure we weren't wasting it. So we rampaged every day and every evening we were in trouble and punished. But the sun rose again on another day of mischief and mayhem. Now it so happened that our mother had some Chinese jars in the dining room. They were quite large, three of them, each as large as a sitting dog. One was blue and white and the other two were multicolored. Chinese pagodas, figures, streams, mountains, the usual thing. Lovely, but quite useless. Because you had to be so careful not to chip or break them. The lids were loose, so you couldn't put anything in them anyway. Because either the ants got in and ate the stuff, or the air got in and made the crisp food soft. Once, after mum had involved me in the process of making bhakras, a kind of sweet fried cookie, I had insisted we tried putting butter paper around the lid and storing the bhakras in one of the jars. But it didn't work and all my efforts were wasted and I was very upset with the silly jars. Anyway, they were precious to mum, so we were not allowed to touch them. And so she would strategically put any tempting goodies that happened to be in the house in the cabinet just above them. Which was all very fine until someone gifted us a huge, I mean huge box of quality street chocolates. After we'd all had a few, the box was put away in that self-same cabinet. My favourite was the toffee penny and within a few sucks, it would stick in my teeth and I would try to wiggle it loose with my tongue. But finally, I would have to insert a finger in my mouth to loosen it and would promptly be sent off by some elder to wash my hands. I liked the long, thin toffee finger second best and then the purple one and the caramel one. But I didn't like the strawberry and I hated the silly coconut one with the blue wrapper. None of us got all our favourites, but we all got some. And this box was huge, so we were sure to get many rounds, which was very good indeed. This time, mum had allowed us three each, not just one or two as usual. But have you ever noticed that the more you have, the more you want? You may be a better person than I, but I confess that's what happened to me that night. I tossed and turned and tossed and turned and tangled up all my bedsheets. And I tried counting sheep, singing, saying my tables, even praying. But not for one measly second did those purple, green, gold and orange wrappers release their grip on my greedy brain. Late, late, late into the night, when I was just as wide awake as ever, 
and probably egged on by the threatening portent of that ledger in heaven if I missed my chance now, I gave in to the wicked principle. In so many, who would miss just one? I slipped out of bed ever so silently and stepped stealthily out into the corridor. But instantly I heard Cyrus hissing through his open door, Where are you going, B? And he and Sam were beside me in a trice. I just sat down right there in the corridor in my pyjamas and bare feet and started crying. Sam was very elder brother solicitous, but Cyrus knew my dirty secret instantly. I was going for the quality street, wasn't I? The two of them hauled me up and told me to stop being a silly blubbering booby and frog marched me into the dining room. Sam was still pacifying me, while Cyrus, always action-oriented, had lined up a chair under the cabinet and got himself up on it. He opened the shutter and pulled out the box. But perhaps he was spooked by all this cloak and dagger skulking around, or he was too cocky, or it was just bad luck. But he overbalanced. And as Sam and I watched in horror, his arms went flailing as they struggled to hold on to that precious box. The chair rocked on three legs and then on two and Cyrus's eyes and hands stayed fixed on his lodestar even as he fell helter-skelter, banging into the blue and white jar which collided with the other two and they fell to the floor and smashed to smithereens. He sat there on the ground in the dining room with the shattered pieces of the jar and the chair around him and gave us a triumphant smile as he held up that intact chocolate box like a trophy. The noise in the silence of the night was deafening. Cyrus's brilliant smile slowly melted as he saw our shocked expressions and heard mum and dad come charging out of their room. Dad came in and just stopped stock still. Mum took one look and let out a wail as if some terrible tragedy had happened. Dad pulled out a chair for her and she put her head down and sobbed as if her heart was broken. The three of us stood huddled together knowing there was going to be hell to pay. I remember being really scared. I had never seen Mum cry like that. Dad sent us to get the broom and pan and set us to clean up while he consoled mum who was still crying her heart out. We finished as quick as we could and stood there with pale faces waiting for the storm. And finally dad asked, Whose idea was this? I kept quiet. I was too scared. The clock seemed to tick a hundred times and I could feel Sam poking my back, but I just couldn't make myself speak up. Finally, Dad asked, Was it you, Cyrus? And Cyrus said, Yes. And I still didn't say anything. It was late, and we were sent off to bed. No chocolates, needless to say. We all mumbled our sorries to Mom, but she was in no mood to listen. She had really loved those jars. 
It was a long and miserable night for me and for the boys, I'm sure. The next morning, the three of us finally got the scolding we were expecting and the punishment too. All of us had been specially looking forward to one gift for our Naujuts, our first real watches. The three of us were almost more excited about that than anything else. So the decision of the elders was that since we had so carelessly deprived mum of something she loved, we should pay with something we loved. No watches. Sam almost collapsed with grief and I bawled with guilt. I tried to proclaim my culpability, but no one would have a bit of it. Take my watches because I'm the one who started it and it's all my fault. But give the boys theirs, they only try to help me. But Cyrus was deemed guilty on past misdeeds and he had already accepted the crown of thorns. I was obviously trying to protect him. Nothing I could say would shake anyone. Because the previous night, I had let the blame fall on him and had not said a word. Even today, I wish I could turn back the clock, go back through the years to that night and make it right. My brothers were devastated and Sam was just gutted. He was 11 years old and still didn't have a watch and it was all my wicked, greedy, scaredy cat fault. After that, I wouldn't touch those horrid chocolates again. Not then, not now. They are the scarlet letter of my shame. When I finally convinced mum days later of the truth of that night's happenings, she said that part of my punishment was to see my brothers suffer for my willfulness. They should never have encouraged my greed and naughtiness, so they weren't innocent either. The watches would not be reinstated. She said it was a good opportunity for all of us to learn the incidental harm that could result from mindless wickedness. My apologies to my brothers were tearful and profuse. All the more, since they both forgave me so readily, my guilt remained enormous. It was a turning point for all of us. I can't say we became angels overnight, but we did opt out of the more harebrained schemes and we did learn to always stand up for the truth and to take responsibility for everything we said and did. And I guess that's what growing up is all about. I think my parents were finally convinced of the truth of my tearful confessions only when I begged to be allowed to use some of the money from my Naujot gifts to buy watches for my brothers. And it wasn't till much later when I finished school that I finally agreed to accept a watch from them myself. Oh, it just struck me now that for all our feeling genuinely sorry for mum, no one ever even thought to replace her beloved Chinese jars. <laughs> <laughs>